Blog Talk Radio. Rock, 
And, yeah, that's about it. Can't wait. Let's get into it. And let's also bring on our special guest who's here for all of our pay-per-view shows. Uh, been quite the staple over the course of 2016. Rocky Santiago. Rocky, how are you doing this evening? Doing well, uh, Ken, Dave. It's always great to be here. Always uh, thankful for the uh, constant invite for these uh, pay-per-view shows. Before you do start, Ken, I do have one question that did come up because I got to give credit to our colleague, Dave. Uh, the the advertisements that Dave puts out for the Ken Reedy show over Facebook, you know, he always puts out, you know, these great posters that have, you know, they're, they're WWE posters and they have mock-ups of our faces. I always find them a little hilarious. But this particular one for this show, I, I have to ask Dave because I, I'm feeling a little heat. Did, did I become Enzo because of that call I made in the U.S. title? Title match. <laughs> I thought it was no, no, I just felt a little heat. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I, <laughs> you know, when I do those, I try to, I try to configure, you know, uh, uh, you know, the the, the current goings on in, in the storylines and what we talk about normally. And um, I did it mainly because of your um, your your take on Enzo's character development and how he was as the cruiserweight champion. There was there's no heat behind that whatsoever. It's it, it's all in good fun. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I, I'm just busting Dave's shops. I just thought it was really funny when I saw it. <laughs> yeah, I was just kind of pumped that he used my my Halloween costume as the devil and kind of kind of slotted me in there as as the demon. I thought that worked well. Good stuff as always. It's, uh, <laughs> At least, at least we'll, we'll find our way onto a WWE poster somehow. But, once you, you know, if there was ever a chance for any of us to be on an actual WWE poster, it may have been tonight, as things are absolutely crazy in the WWE. And, and, and I want to get, like, before we get into our picks, and, you know, obviously our show, best in the business, the most comprehensive pre-show in all the business of pro wrestling, but it's it's pretty incredible to see what's going on right now in the WWE. I mean, Nia Jax takes a leave of absence. Kevin Owens leaves the SmackDown tour for personal reasons. Neville apparently is out. Bray and Roman are sick. Um, things are crazy. The WWE seems to be scrambling. They're heading into a pay-per-view. And look, shit happens. I mean, I get it. I'm not blaming creative. Um, if things don't work out tonight, I mean, you got to kind of take stuff with a grain of salt. But it seems like a lot of stuff happens, like, right at the same time. Our friend, our colleague, my mentor from Busted Open Radio tweeted today, I honestly don't remember the last time I was this pumped for a WWE pay-per-view. What are you looking forward to tonight? And to be honest with you, I could not disagree with Dave more. Um, I, I mean, I think the last pay-per-view I probably was looking forward to more than, than this pay-per-view um, I don't think it looks great on paper. Uh, I get why. I mean, you would think that Kurt Angle's big return to the ring would be uh, advertised, and but I get where, you know, you're not getting the Shield re- return, but you're getting Kurt Angle's return to the ring. Um, and I'm looking forward. I'm really looking forward to seeing Kurt Angle and seeing what he can do and what he still has. Um, but it, but it's interesting. I mean, I, do I think AJ Styles, and and uh, Finn Balor are going to put on a great match. Yeah, I do. I think it's going to be entertaining. There's no story backing it up, so I'm not, like, overly enthralled with it. I think they're going to do a good job. But when I look at this pay-per-view, I can't say I, I'm intrigued. I'm not, like, overly pumped to watch this pay-per-view. 
Um, I'm not like, oh, my God, this is going to be amazing. What really intrigues me with this is because you don't have the reunion of the Shield, and to, for me at least, that match lost a little bit of its luster, this pay-per-view becomes very female-centric. I mean, almost half the pay-per-view are ladies' matches. You have Sasha versus Alicia Fox, Mickey James going for the belt, going for some history, Asuka versus Emma. So when I look at that, I think that's very intriguing that the ladies in, in a pay-per-view that's kind of been screwed up with some illnesses um, and matches had to be reworked and maybe the WWE scrambling, that the women have a real shot at kind of saving this pay-per-view. So I, I would say I'm intrigued. I'm looking forward to it. Um, as far as LaGreca saying that I'm that he's pumped for this, I can't say I'm pumped for it, but I'm, I'm very curious and intrigued. Your Dave, your thoughts on this? Um, his comments, I couldn't disagree with him more either. Um, I Going into this pay-per-view before they made the changes to the card with the viral meningitis or the mumps or whatever is being reported. Um, this was a one-match show for me, and it was obviously centered around the Shield reunion. And, um, you know, with the changes now being made, you got a couple of different things that intrigue me. Obviously, I'm, in, I'm looking forward to AJ and Balor, and I'll get more in-depth than that when we, when we preview that match. Um, I, I am looking forward to seeing Kurt Angle return, however – what I've taken away from his involvement in tonight's, in, in tonight's main event and how this all came about is the hypocrisy amongst WWE management. And this may sound like I'm bitching and complaining, but I find this incredibly hypocritical that they won't let Daniel Bryan do any kind of physical activity or return or clear him to return to the ring because of his history of concussion issues. Yet Kurt Angle who has a history of neck injuries and um, prescription pain medication issues and, and drug abuse, they have no problem clearing him to return and to compete in a match, tables, ladders, and chairs, a very physical match with eight other people, with seven or eight other people. And I just find that to be very hypocritical on WWE management's part. Normally, I'm pretty fair with them. I'm not like the rest of the Internet that will blast them at any chance they get. But in this situation, I, I'm just I'm kind of scratching my head. I get that they need to make some substitutions because of the illness going around in the locker room. But at the same time, Kurt Angle, he's, he hasn't wrestled in quite a while. His, his history with injuries and his his, uh, his prior drug abuse and this physical style of a match. I don't know. I just, I, I feel like that this move was made out of desperation and I don't think this was, I don't think this was a hundred percent well thought out. Hey, it's interesting to say because I mean, on this show, like we, we're not like, we're not generally in agreement with the IWC. Usually, you know, we kind of tongue in cheek. We're kind of, we're always poking fun at those, those guys, but yeah, I think there's a legit point. And, in fact, after, you know, the breaking news came out that, that Kurt Angle would be slotted into this match, Daniel Bryan almost immediately tweeted, interesting, dot, dot, dot. Um, so it does kind of make you wonder, um, you know, where they're at and, and, and why this decision was made and was it like haphazard, uh, you know, behind the scenes was, uh, Kurt Angle slotted to come back soon, and they're like, you know, we'll just do it now. Um, it, it's very intriguing, 
And it's intriguing to look at, like, is, is Daniel Bryan close to a return? Will this change things? I mean, ultimately, you know, we see things outwardly. We, we hear things. You know, you take everything as far as the dirt sheets with a grain of salt. But ultimately, this is a business with office politics and he said, she said, and, and people talking. So who knows, like, does this change things now? Does this, does, you know, this change – Number one, could this change the company's stance on Daniel Bryan and we get a Daniel Bryan return in the not-too-distant future? Or do we have the flip side where Daniel Bryan's like, piss off, WWE, if this is how you're going to conduct yourself, and it depends on if you're in favor with management or not, and he really wants to wrestle again, maybe that influences his decision to go elsewhere once his contract is up. So as much as like this viral meningitis could be like this little blip as far as the year uh, of the WWE and they've had to scramble to put this match together. It's interesting when you start to speculate the rippling effect, this could, could wind up happening uh, in the company as it goes forward. And especially as more and more people, I mean, you wonder what's going to happen with Nia Jax. You wonder what's going on with Kevin Owens. Seemingly it looks like Neville is out. So it's, I, you know, I'm not saying that right now the WWE is, is in hot water, that the company, quote-unquote, is in trouble, but that there's interesting things going on that, um, you know, makes you wonder how things will go um, moving down the road and going through the end of 2017 into 2018. You know, this could have, we could look back on this pay-per-view and this instant Kurt Angle's comeback as something that affects the WWE for months to come. Rock, your thoughts on this pay-per-view? I mean, are you like quote-unquote pumped, so pumped, more pumped than you've been in recent memory for this pay-per-view, your thoughts, your overview, your thoughts on the Kurt Angle-Daniel Bryan controversy. Well, uh, I'm willing to say that pumped is not exactly the word I would use. Um, Intrigued, interested. Uh, I think uh, with this strike of uh, viral meningitis and, and all these superstars that are taking, you know, whatever leaves of absence, it's offered an interesting opportunity. I think this pay-per-view more than any so far is going to be pretty much one big opportunity. And as you pointed out, Ken, uh, the ladies have a big opportunity on this point to really, uh, on this pay-per-view to really shine being that they pretty much have almost half the card, you know, pre-show included. Um, I was surprised at the announcement of Kurt Angle. You know, if any, if anything, I'm kind of pumped up for that. But you know, Dave brought up an excellent point. The IWC will most certainly been up and be up in arms as far as the status of Daniel Bryan. And I, as you said, Ken, I can't really blame the IWC for that stance. Uh, if this is what you're going to do in an emergency, and while you, it's great that all these ladies are getting an opportunity to, uh, to really shine. And I really hope they, they, they knock it out of the park. I, uh, I also see a side of missed opportunities because let's face it, you have a whole, a whole roster with an NXT that you could have given some form of shot to, or, or, or fill them in some slots that, uh, you know, guys for whatever reason are, are, are not filling. And you have that whole roster that give these guys, guys who, you know, you would think uh, uh, down the road are going to, or eventually, or hopefully, be WWE mainstays as they get promoted to the uh, uh, to the main roster. But uh, they, it looks like they went another way with that. You know, they they went the Kurt Angle route, and I'm like, oh, you know, I just hope. I'm sure 
knowing the the level of Kurt Angle and his performance and his ability, I know he'll do his best. Uh, I just hope he comes out okay because, as as everyone knows, you know, his neck is not up to snuff. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see exactly how physical he gets uh, within this match, within this main event. Yeah, and so, I mean, that that's it's interesting because, you know, I wonder if it's, you know, if, if LaGreca, you know, look, I mean, he could be just trying to, I mean, I'm not putting words in his mouth. I haven't talked to him about the pay-per-view. Uh, maybe he is really pumped. Maybe he's just trying to get fans pumped. Um, I'm intrigued. And, in fact, like, and, and look, full disclosure, man, like, we, we do this show and we, we we pull back the curtain. I mean, if the, if the WWE and everyone can pull back the curtain, so can we. I mean, part of this show being... 90 minutes today is like seven matches and there's not a lot to talk about. I mean, there's not, I I look at these matches and I look on paper and I'm like, God, when you start to look at trying to dissect these matches and talk about it, I mean, you know, Jesus Christ. I mean, are we going to sit here and dissect Cedric uh, Alexander and Rick, Rich Swan versus the gentleman, Jack Gallagher and the Brian Kendrick. Are we going to spend like tons of time on the analysis of that match? I mean, even Asuka coming back, Asuka versus Emma. I mean, is, is that deserve like over analyzation? So on paper, I look at this pay per view. I honestly think it's kind of a weak pay per view on paper. Now, to to what we both said, Rock, like if the women the women have an opportunity that if they all knock it out of the park, they can save this pay per view. I, I think they, they're all like, you know, I because I, I look at Finn Balor and AJ Styles, and even if they give us like a five star classic, I don't know where that goes afterwards. Like, AJ still goes back to SmackDown. It's, it's not a program. So, like, cool if they entertain us for one day. But to me, it, it is what it is. Um, I think the ladies have a, have a real opportunity to give us something that uh, can really save this pay-per-view. And let's, let's start there. Let's start with, like, why not the pre-show match? And we got Sasha Banks versus Alicia Fox. And I, I'm telling you, I'm, I love Alicia Fox. I, I think she's... Uh, uh, underutilized, underrated, um, and she's still young. She's 31 years old. Um, I, to me, when I look at Alicia Fox and Sasha Banks, I personally I see a bigger upside on Alicia Fox. I think she's got like she's got a better grasp of character. Um, I find her funny as just this psycho hot chick. Um, I, I think she's you know is is she the second coming of Charlotte Flair? No, um, but she's athletic. You know, she's not embarrassing herself in that ring. So when I look at Alicia Fox, I look at someone who's athletic, who's got a good look, who's finally got herself a T-shirt, um, and I, I just enjoy watching her work. That all being said, I don't think they're giving her anything. I think she's one of those people that's just there that they can slot her in and, and use her in certain uh, spots. I would love to see Alicia Fox at least get a mediocre push. I don't see it happening. I think it should be a fun, entertaining matchup filled with a couple of Alicia Fox temper tantrums, but I'm going to go with Sasha Banks with the victory here. Um, and I don't think it's going to be an earth-shattering match, but I think it should be a fun match, an entertaining match. Dave, your thoughts? Um, don't care about this match. Don't care about a lot of matches on this card, so I'll start with the first, this, this match. I don't really care about this match. Um, there hasn't been too much of a great buildup. I will disagree with you, Ken. I think there's more upside for Sasha than there is for Alicia. Do I think Alicia has a better grasp of 
her actual character itself and how she portrays herself and her crazy, you know, wrestler persona. Absolutely. I think she's, she, she has a handle on that better than Sasha has a handle on being the boss, if that's what you want to call her. Um, so I'll give her there, but I think in ring wise, I think Sasha's a touch more polished than Alicia and that's not saying much. And with that being said, as far as the, the contents of this match goes, well, they're going to give them plenty of time. Um, it's on the kickoff show. And with, like I said, only seven matches advertised in the card. And then I sprinkle in an impromptu match um, to fill up some time. But this match, I don't see it um, being very earth-shattering. And from a storyline uh, development standpoint, Sasha Banks for a long time has, has seemed to be in a – like a start-stop position, they'll push her, then they'll take her, they'll, they'll pull the reins back. Um, I see her getting the victory, but I don't see much coming out of this. Maybe some sort of follow-up for Survivor Series if they do the brand versus brand, and maybe they got a team with each other on a team. But I, I'm not really going to try and think too far ahead with, with with these two in that in that situation. So Sasha Banks for the victory. Well, this is one that I'm. I'm actually interested in, and I, for being a pre-show match, that at least they have a little bit of history in the in the last Raw. I, I thought that's that segment was a hard hitting with uh, Alicia basically going crazy and just going absolutely batshit crazy all over Sasha. So it gives them some uh, impetus to actually be at each other's throats. Uh, for this match, I'm actually going to go with Alicia. Um, I think it would be nice. I am a fan of both. I hold no preference, Alicia, Sasha. I think they both they both perform well in the ring. I think they are both great superstars, great talents. Obviously, Alicia has more you know time in the WWE versus Sasha, but obviously Sasha has an edge in the popularity department. But uh, you know. At its base, I'm going to go with Alicia because I think it makes more sense to pull Alicia back up into that uh, upper echelon, which I think a victory over Sasha can do for her. See, it's interesting, man. Like when Rock, when you when you go with a pick like that, like that's like when I look at like picking like with my heart or with my head. Like if if I was a booker and I was I was booking this match, and I think Sasha Banks as they booked her strong enough where. I don't think Sasha would lose anything by a loss. And Alicia Fox beating Sasha Banks would definitely help Alicia Fox. So if I was booking this, yeah, I would book Alicia Fox to win. I just don't trust the WWE to do that. Like, that's that's where I'm at. I don't think they're going to do that. Um, But I'm right there with you. I think Alicia Fox beating Sasha Banks, even if it's an underhanded way, would definitely put her in a position like, all right, we have to take Alicia Fox seriously. She beat she beat the boss, um, but I don't think that's the way it's going to go. But I, you know, if she does win, I I think that would be awesome. I think uh, I, I I'm a big fan of Alicia Fox. All right, let's let's move on. Let's move on to uh, two other ladies who are uh, not quite as tough as Sasha and Alicia Fox. I'm talking about Kalisto and Enzo Amore fighting for the WWE Cruiserweight <laughs> Championship. I. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's funny, man. Like doing this show, and I and I love doing this show. We all have fun today. But Dave, I gotta say, like, I, I mean, you you're one of those guys that like you 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 know, I we do the show, and 
and I try and give like the the, the monologue and, and and build and and a little bit of dramatic flair, and you just like cut through the bullshit, and I'm like. As as we're doing this, I'm like, yeah, like I I only gave a shit about the TLC match. It's really all I cared about. And honestly, like now it's like I'm looking at it, I'm like, we're gonna analyze these matches, and I just like, yeah, I don't care about this match either. <laughs> you know, hopefully it's hopefully it's good. Hopefully it's entertaining. Um, I I, I think the Enzo heel character is is kind of working. I I'm still at best lukewarm with the cruiserweights. I don't know what Kalisto with the championship. I don't know. I don't know. Should we analyze, I mean, Enzo's outfits? What do we dissect in this match? Rocky, I'll let you kick off the Cruiserweight Championship match. Kalisto versus Enzo, what do you think? Well, uh, we can definitely tell who's a fan of the Cruiserweights and who is not. <laughs> but uh, that being said, I'm actually interested in this match. Um I thought it was, again, it was interesting what they did with Enzo and, and how they forwarded his character. Uh, I've always been a fan of Kalisto. Uh, he obviously, you know, is a high flyer, you know, second, second coming of Rey Mysterio. Uh, give him a, you know, give him a lot of years, actually. But, uh, you know, Kalisto, definitely exciting, uh, fast-paced competitor. Uh, with the storyline, I'm not fully on board with it. Due to the simple fact that in the beginning Enzo was hated, was universally hated by the whole uh, 205 roster. You know, heels, faces, everyone was was on his ass. And now in this past buildup, you have a couple of guys that now apparently are on Enzo's side, and now they're you know after they beat the crap out of him, okay, well we'll work with you. That that kind of fell flat for me. Um, it's going to be interesting where they go with this. But uh, th- th- this, honestly, to me, is a hard pick. And I'm going to go – I'm going to go with Enzo. I think he's going to, you know, pull another underhanded uh, uh, underhanded thing that's going to have him be hated. And that's just, you know, as a heel, that's his job now. His job is to be universally hated. And I think he's on his way to do that. And I'm I'm waiting for the Fugazi T-shirts that out of that freaking last promo he did, but uh, as much as I do like Kalisto and I he represents the cruiserweight division well, I think Enzo is going to make it more interesting. That's my take. Wow! So Enzo, yeah, I don't know where to go with this. I really don't like. I I, I mean, also I, when I I was surprised that they put the the cruiserweight championship on Kalisto. Um, and, but, but I'm kind I'm kind of leaning towards where, where you're thinking, Rob, that, you know, Enzo is the guy, I mean, they, they have to do something to make these cruiserweights interesting and, and, you know, Neville kind of did it. And I think the cruiserweights are really going to miss him. Um, but Neville, like his ability to make the cruiserweights relevant was to just, you're the, the, the guy on top, everyone hated, everyone hated. And everyone was, was shooting for that guy who was that good. Who just, and when he lost the belt, he would recapture it pretty quick. Um, and that was, that was Neville's gig. Um, and, and it worked. Um, again, it's a shame because I, I thought you built, built a star in Neville. And that was a guy that could help with the cruiserweights and then bring Enzo in and maybe make the whole roster a little more interesting. And now Neville's gone. So, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go go with Enzo as well. I'm gonna go with that you know he's he's gonna fit, they're gonna slot him into kind of that that same role that he's gonna be the heel 
at the top that they'll keep feeding guys to, to, to try and help and put over. And Enzo will just be the guy who's holding that championship, who will come close to losing it often, maybe lose it for a couple weeks like he will here with Kalisto, but then take it back. So I will agree with you, and I will go with Enzo as well. Dave, your thoughts here? Well, going into this match when it was announced before Kalisto won the title, um, I didn't have a whole lot of interest. Uh, I had interest in Enzo's character, but the matchup, I just didn't really have a whole lot of interest in it. Um, nothing against Kalisto, fantastic athlete. Definitely not the second coming of Rey Mysterio, but um, you know, I think this role in the cruiserweight division over time is better suited for him than him doing virtually nothing for a long period of time like he has been in WWE. And uh, I've been on board with the Enzo heel thing. We talked about it on last week's show, Ken. If they tweaked it a little bit, it's been a work in progress, but if they tweak it a little bit so that he's a full-fledged heel instead of kind of you know, being very passive-aggressive, with uh, with his with, with his tactics and his words, then uh, you know it would be much more suited for him. And he's at you know, think about it. His presence in that division has added a little more personality to that division to the 205 Live Show. Um, I don't know if they gained uh, viewership, you know, more viewership for that show on Tuesday nights on the network, but uh, you know they've given them more segments, um, and it's a testament to. Um, WWE creative and Enzo's ability to um, grow into that role based on what I saw Monday night. He came out and he kind of pandered to the crowd, like what we talked about last week on the show, Ken, you know, if he's appealed, don't pander to them. Don't, you know, sing, don't do sing along with the crowd because it's not going to work. If you're trying to portray him as a bad guy. Um, And then that segment that, you know, it ran kind of long, but it got heat with the crowd. The crowd loved him at first. And then towards the end when he had, you know, some of the other heel cruiserweights like Anthony Nice and Gulak and um, a few of the other guys come out and help him beat on Kalisto, it was um, the, the crowd, they got a good amount of heel heat for a cruiserweight segment on Raw, which is usually, have been, you know, since its inception, been designed as the bathroom break. So um, I thought, it was, I thought it, was, it was a sign that, that Enzo's presence in that division is helping make the people care to, to to a certain degree about the cruiserweights, and that's a good thing. Um, to your point, Rock, you mentioned how uh, the the most of the cruiserweight roster was not in favor of Enzo joining the roster. They were all against him, and then all of a sudden, four or five of them decide they're going to help him beat up on on uh, Kalisto. Um, and I understand where your point is coming from, but if you think about it. People change their minds all the time. One day you could like one person, next day you could not like that person. So I kind of look at it that way as well. You know, people change their minds, and maybe maybe Enzo's, uh, you know, in, in his character, his ability to um, to sweet talk some of these guys into believing his hype and backing him up, maybe that changed their minds. Or maybe the fact that he talks about he's got so much money, maybe he paid these guys off. Who knows? It's wrestling. I don't think we have to think too far ahead. And that's no disrespect intended to your point of view. Um, as far as tonight's match goes, um, I didn't like Kalisto getting the belt in the first place because I really felt that the Enzo thing was working. Uh, but tonight I think Enzo's taking it. And he might get some help from some of his buddies. Uh, maybe it leads to a match of Survivor Series, an elimination match, a Survivor Series style with the Cruiserweights. But um, Enzo right now, the, as, as much as people don't want to say it, 
the money is in the chase. And that's an old terminology in wrestling. The money is in the chase. The babyface chases the heel for the title. And I think that's what's going to get more people involved um, in this program between Enzo and Kalisto if Enzo's the champion. And I think proof's in the pudding based off of the, the heel heat that they got at the end of that segment on Monday night when Enzo and his cronies beat down Kalisto. Enzo with the win. And there you have our first hat trick with our picks. Three four seven eight three eight nine eight one five is the number to call. You want to talk WWE TLC, the most uninteresting pay-per-view in the history of the WWE. But to let you guys know, it has not always been the case. The WWE has given us some fine action in years past. And for you guys, we're going to give you a little history lesson as we do each and every pay-per-view so without further ado let's send it over to dave with his pay-per-view tlc throwback sierra hotel india echo lima delta shield it's how i planned to open today's pay-per-view throwback lesson plan and go in depth on one of the most anticipated reunions in recent memory And then Vince McMahon hired a new member of the creative team known as Viral Meningitis, which has brought us to tonight. Good afternoon, class, and thank you for joining me as I present today's historical retrospective entitled Homecoming. Tonight's TLC pay-per-view event would have been a homecoming for Seth Rollins, Dean Ambrose, and Roman Reigns, as The Shield would have teamed together for the first time on pay-per-view in almost four years. The previously mentioned viral meningitis has prevented that long-awaited reunion for the time being, as WWE medical personnel have pulled Roman Reigns from the match and instead inserted WWE Hall of Famer and current Raw General Manager Kurt Angle into the five-on-three tables, ladders, and chairs handicap match. An Olympic homecoming, if you will, is upon us this evening, as it's been 11 years since Kurt Angle has competed not only on WWE pay-per-view, but inside a WWE ring. And with time comes age, and ultimately, father time wins every match in life. So tonight will be a true test as to what Angle will be able to handle physically, especially in a match like this that can be so demanding on the human body. So today's lesson plan, I will cover not only some surprisingly historical Kurt Angle TLC moments, but I'll also delve into statistics surrounding the other participants in tonight's main event and their familiarity with tables, ladders, and chairs. Allow me to get started with the five-man team consisting of The Miz, Braun Strowman, Kane, and The Bars, Sheamus, and Cesaro. This unorthodox Pentagon has had their fair share of encounters involving tables, ladders, and chairs. Let's start with Cesaro. He's competed in multiple Money in the Bank ladder matches in 2013, 2014, and 2016, with all three efforts coming in the form of a loss. But Cesaro's unique and impressive physical style is tailor-made for a match of this kind, and I expect a good showing from the Swiss Superman tonight. Sheamus is very familiar with the TLC event, as he won his very first WWE Championship in a tables match in 2009 against John Cena. 2010, he came up on the short end of the stick in a number one contender's ladder match against John Morrison. 2012, Sheamus endured the wrath of the Big Show in a very physical and violent chairs match for the World Heavyweight Championship, which he lost, might I add. And in 2015, Sheamus successfully defended his WWE Championship in a tables, ladders, and chairs match against the big dog of the Shield, Roman Reigns. Speaking of 2015, at that very same event, 
Ron Strowman holds his one and only TLC event experience as a part of the winning team in an eight-man tag team tables elimination match where Braun, along with Luke Harper and Bray Wyatt of the Wyatt family, were left standing as they defeated the Dudley Boys, Tommy Dreamer, and Rhino. The returning Kane has carved out a niche in TLC-style matches, going all the way back to an episode of Raw in 2002, where he successfully defended his tag team titles by himself against three other teams in a tables, ladders, and chairs match. The three teams in this match consisted of Bubba Ray and Spike Dudley, Rob Van Dam and Jeff Hardy, and Chris Jericho and Christian. Now fast forward to 2010, as the Big Red Machine fought valiantly against three other competitors in hopes of keeping his World Heavyweight Championship in a TLC Fatal 4-Way match. But unfortunately, he was no match, as Rey Mysterio, Alberto Del Rio, and the winner of that match, Edge, through the proverbial caution to the wind in making sure Kane left without the World Heavyweight Championship. In 2012, Kane was part of the losing team in the first ever six-man tag team tables, ladders, and chairs matches. He joined Daniel Bryan and Ryback when they faced off against The Shield in their WWE pay-per-view debut match. Ironically enough, tonight would have been The Shield reunion in the very match they made their debut in at the very same event, TLC. And in his last TLC appearance in 2014, Kane, he went corporate, representing the authority in a losing effort to Ryback in a chairs match. Which brings me to the so-called captain of this team, The Miz. Miz's WWE tenure has been one, has been one many could say was and is unpredictable. From reality TV star turned locker room reject to an evolving and entertaining professional wrestler at the top of his game, respected by his peers and fans more so now than ever before, Miz has had his fair share of TLC moments that have helped define his decorated run in WWE. In 2010, on an episode of Raw, Miz barely made it out alive in a tables, liars, and chairs match for his coveted WWE Championship against WWE Hall of Famer Jerry the King Lawler, if not for the help of apprentice Alex Riley and the lead voice of WWE, Michael Cole. Following that memorable title defense, Miz would go on to defend that same championship successfully in a tables match against Randy Orton at the 2010 TLC event. TLC 2011, Miz shared the main event spotlight with Alberto Del Rio in a losing effort in a triple threat TLC match for the WWE Championship against champion CM Punk. And rounding out Miz's TLC resume comes from last year's event as the Miz and Dolph Ziggler spared no physical expense in destroying one another in a ladder match for the Intercontinental title with Miz coming out on top and beginning his Intercontinental Championship reunion tour. Now, let's move on to their opponents this evening, starting with the Raw Tag Team Champions and two-thirds of the Shield, Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose, both of whom made their TLC debuts in 2012 with Roman Reigns, as previously mentioned, where they defeated Ryback and Team Hell No in that classic six-man tag team tables, ladders, and chairs match that stole the show inside the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York. However, tonight they won't be fortunate enough to relive a Shield reunion at TLC. Instead, they get to join forces with WWE Hall of Famer and Olympic gold medalist Kurt Angle. But before we get into Angle's accolades, Rollins and Ambrose have had their fair share of TLC moments that have become part of their own respective career highlight reels. Both individuals are Money in the Bank contract winners, Rollins in 2014 and Ambrose in 2016, so both definitely know how to use a ladder. 
Ambrose headlined the 2014 TLC event in a losing effort to Bray Wyatt in a table sliders and chairs match. At that same event, Rollins would fail to defeat John Cena in a tables match with help from, ironically at the time, his former Shield brethren, Roman Reigns. Last year at the 2016 TLC event, Dean Ambrose came within inches of defeating AJ Styles for the WWE Championship in a tables, ladders, and chairs match, if it weren't for the poster boy of birth control, James Ellsworth. Seems as if statistically, Rollins and Ambrose have better luck in these types of matches together rather than apart. How will that factor in with their partner, Kurt Angle? Which brings me to my final portion of this lesson plan. Kurt Angle returns to a WWE ring for the first time in 11 years. His last go of it on pay-per-view came in 2006 at Vengeance, losing to Randy Orton. Angle would then go on to TNA, where he helped establish the company on a larger scale, while being able to provide classic encounters with the likes of Sting, AJ Styles, Samoa Joe, Bobby Roode, Lashley, and so many others. Along the way of doing my research, when it comes to these type of matches, to some people, Angle has limited experience. But surprisingly, a fair amount of experience with tables, ladders, and chairs in both of his tenures with WWE and TNA. Going into tonight's match, Angles competed in only five ladder matches, with four of those taking place in TNA. 2007, Angle won the vacant TNA World Heavyweight Championship in a King of the Mountain match against Samoa Joe, Wildcat Chris Harris, AJ Styles, and Christian. 2008, Angle and AJ Styles would meet in a ladder match for Angle's gold medals on the line on an episode of Impact. 2009, Angle won the King of the Mountain again and became TNA World Heavyweight Champion, defeating Jeff Jarrett, Samoa Joe, Mick Foley, and AJ Styles at Slammiversary. And in 2010, Angle and Mr. Anderson met in a brutal ladder match, with Anderson getting the victory. Angle's one and only ladder match in WWE came in 2001, when he defeated Chris Benoit for the rights to possess his very own Olympic gold medals. As far as Angle's tables resume goes, that resides in TNA. In 2009, he competed against AJ Styles on an episode of Impact. And not too long after that, he teamed with Team 3D against Styles, Christian, and Rhino in a six-man tag team tables match. And if you're curious about Kurt Angle and chairs matches, don't be, because he hasn't competed in a single one upon doing my research. So with all those stats laid out on the table, the question that remains heading into tonight's main event really is, how will Kurt Angle fare in this match? Will coming back in a match that is as physical as this be the measuring stick in determining Angle's in-ring future in WWE? Or is his role simply to add name value and compensate for all the last-minute changes made to this card? My feeling is that regardless of his participation, or potentially lack thereof, this sets up his character's next chapter in WWE. Knowing Kurt Angle's in-ring competitive history, he goes big or goes home, and I don't think Angle wants to be remembered for anything less than what he's capable of inside that squared circle. This should be an interesting show due to the obvious roster changes, and I hope you all enjoy tables, ladders, and chairs this evening. That is all the time I have for you. Thank you for joining me. Slash dismissed. Good stuff, as always. It's too, I mean, I, you know, it's funny as, as it becomes such a fan of, um, you know, it's like, it's got to be, like, remember back in the day when, when Dana Carvey was doing George W. Bush impressions and, uh, um, like, people who would do impressions of Bush weren't doing impressions of Bush. It was almost like they were doing impressions of Dana Carvey's impression of Bush. That's where it's gotten with, like, for me at least, with, with Pritchard's McMahon 
impression. And and at this point, like every time I hear viral meningitis, all I hear in my head is Pritchard's McMahon impressions, like viral meningitis. That's all I hear. And is it a coincidence? The initials VM, Vincent McMahon, viral meningitis. Coincidence? <laughs> You just I got Vince. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. So, good stuff, Dave, as always. Let's get back into it. Let's get back into these picks, these these matches that we're all just so excited for. Let's, let's pick some tag team wrestling. We got Cedric the Entertainer. No, I mean, sorry. Cedric Alexander versus, and Rich Swan versus Gentleman Jack Gallagher and V. Brian Kendrick, and as I look at this match, all I can think about when I try to pick, you know, Cedric Alexander, Rich Swan, Jack Gallagher, Brian Kendrick, where we're going to go with this match, and all that keeps coming to mind is... All right, Alexander and Swan are going to win. Flip the coin. That's the win. That's my pick. Rocky, who do you got? Well, uh, again, we can tell the uh, the 205 Live fan. Um, for this match, the, the main thing that intrigued me uh, was the whole uh, gentleman Jack Gallagher heel turn. Um, he, he's his character I thought before was great, but now it, you know now he has this you know this mean streak and he's on a heel, his heel run. I'm interested to see where they go with him because I like his character. I liked his entering work and uh, I really hope he does good things in 205 Live as uh, as the heel gentleman Jack Gallagher. But uh, to your point, Ken, as far as this match is concerned, I can't say I'm all that interested in the outcome and it really could be a coin flip for me as well. Um, I'm going to go I'm going to go with Cedric uh I'm going to go with uh, Cedric's team. Uh, even though I am, a, like I said, out of all four competitors, I'm most a fan of uh, Jack Gallagher. Uh, I don't think with, if Enzo is especially thinking about the other 205 live match, if Enzo is going to take that belt back, you're going to want to have a, some happy ending within the cruiserweight ranks. So uh, Cedric Alexander's team for the win. And it's interesting to because, like, you know, I was a fan of, of, Gallagher as well, and I think that like you know in wrestling, especially there being no off season, there has to be you have to continue to evolve. And and Gallagher went from being very interesting to me to kind of boring me. Um, I I'm curious to see how he goes with with his heel run, but um that's the thing you know that's the, that's the process you know I think Sasha Banks has kind of fallen into that like you got to be constantly evolving and you know her character went from being part of the revolution and, and, and something you need to being like, all right, you need to continue to evolve. And that's kind of where I'm at with Jack Gallagher. Hope this heel run helps, but I'm agreeing with you, Alexander and Sean with the victory. Dave, your thoughts on this match. Um, once again, another match I don't care about, but <laughs> there's this is, this is to, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you listening, this is the I Don't Care pregame show presented by the Ken Reedy Show, the best in pro wrestling talk. Because it seems like all of us here just don't I really give made, a shit I about the match. show Apathy. TKRS presents Apathy. Or WWE, that's what it should have been. WWE, live on pay-per-view. Apathy. 
apathy, tables and chairs. Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> We're going off the rails. No, but in all seriousness, like another match that I don't care about, but there's potential for you you made mention of it that there's potential for the women to save this show, but there's also potential for this cruiserweight match to to be a bright spot on this show and surprise some people because of the 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 uh, the talents in the ring. You know, Al- Cedric Alexander probably one of the the more underrated cruiserweights um, on 205 Live. I don't watch a whole lot of that, but from what I've seen, I enjoy watching him. Um, Rich Swan is like. You know, Rich Swan looks like if our truth fell asleep in my dryer. That's what Rich Swan looks like. He can dance and move. <laughs> he can dance and he can move around, but he is no different than anyone else. And you want to talk different? You brought it up earlier. You got to keep evolving in wrestling. Dare to be different in order to be successful. That's what I, I heard that quote somewhere. I forget who, but um, dare to be different in order to be successful. And that's what Jack Gallagher is doing. I like the fact that you know he had a quirky little. Um, uh, uh, personality before he turned heel, but what I dig most about this is the fact that he wrestles in like a like a, 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 a slacks and dress shoes and a tie and like he doesn't. It's not like he takes it off or anything. He wears wrestling boots. Like the only thing he does that resembles him being a wrestler is like he tapes his fists and like he's like an old English gentleman ready for a duel. Like I, I just. There's something about that that I like, that he's standing out. He's not just like a regular wrestler. You know, he's wearing almost a, a, a full-piece suit going out there and beating people up, and I think that's pretty cool. Um, but given this, the talents in this match with Kendrick and all that, this has got a chance to be a bright spot on the card if they give this amount of time. And I know that a lot of people going into this match, including myself, might not be invested in it going in, but if we're going to watch this pay-per-view – um, you'll have to at least somewhat care about this match, and hopefully the four talents involved, giving them a fair amount of time on this show, could make you care about it, and you, we could come out with a very good match. I'm going to go left here and say that Kendrick and Gallagher take the victory uh, because they've formed this union, and in order for this union to be somewhat credible on 205 Live, um, I think that they, they need a victory as a team together. And like Swan or, or Cedric, they can find a way to get a shot at the Cruiserweight title another day. But um, Gallagher and Kendrick, I think it's, it's vital for them to get a victory in order for them to be relevant on 205 Live. So Kendrick and Gentleman Jack, the win. Well, yeah, like I used to say, like if you're if you're listening to the show for the first time ever, we're generally a pretty positive show in the landscape of podcasts across the world, and and so much of the the IWC bashing uh, wrestling and bashing the product and everything, we generally don't do that. However, this pay per view has kind of put us in a weird place where uh, there's not a lot that we're we're interested with. But go figure, it winds up being a pay per view of the year, like when we're all said and done. But let's look at like. Let's go back to the ladies. We have Asuka coming up to the main roster versus Emma. Um, let's see. who I kicked off the last one. Rock, why don't you kick off this one? Your thoughts on this ladies match? Well, I, I think this is a match that uh, a lot in the IWC have been waiting for as, as far as the, the main roster debut of Asuka. Uh, she can very much get it done in the ring, and I think she's going to have to get it done in the ring because she's in there with Emma. Now, 
not nothing against Emma. I think out of all the ladies on the roster, I would probably paint Emma as the least polished, uh, which is kind of uh, it's kind of strange considering she has more time than than most. But uh, all that being said, I think this is going to be an entertaining match. I think people are going to be very high on it uh, simply due to the presence of Asuka. And with that being said, I think this is a very easy pick. Uh, I think you're going to see Asuka pull out the victory quite handily. Your thoughts, Dave? <sighs> There's really not a whole lot to analyze because there really hasn't been any serious storyline development. Um, if you follow Asuka from NXT, she's been undefeated, so she basically kind of did the Goldberg thing, and then they had her you know, bow out and move on to the main roster undefeated, relinquished her title. Um, I thought that was very interesting. Um, a different way and a different approach to that they've done when they've taken talents from NXT and brought them up to the main roster. Um, Rock, I know you listen to the Taz podcast, um, and uh, I, I've been listening to him for several weeks now, and just about every show, if this topic comes up with Asuka, he seems to think that Emma is going to pull out this upset victory, and the storyline and character development for Oscar is going to take a drastic turn um, coming in, coming onto the main roster and being shocked uh, losing her first match to someone like Emma. It would, it would serve two purposes. One, it would, it would get the people invested in Oscar who aren't necessarily familiar with her. And two, it would give Emma a boost and some instant credibility on the, in the raw women's division that she just beat this, this killing machine from NXT. Um, but I don't think they're going to go that route. I think, like you said, Rock, I think it's going to be an easy pick. I think Asuka is going to take the victory and, and uh, move on to more important things on the Raw roster. At least she'll, she'll chop her way at some of the lower card females on that roster until they eventually want to have her go for the belt. So Asuka with the win. I think that's a little bit of Taz, like, you know, again, we talked about earlier in the show, uh, picking with your your heart and not your head. Um, I would love to see that. I, I, I think that would be some intriguing storytelling. Uh, Oscar is, is a, in a place where even though she's new to the main roster, she's, she's not going to lose anything uh, losing to Emma, and Emma pulling off that victory – would be tremendous for her. However, I don't think the WWE creative is creative enough to go in that direction. I like Emma. I, I'm not 100% so. I think there's potential, but I can't say that I know exactly what to do with Emma. Um, but I think right now she's just fodder for Asuka. Like, she's just there to get Asuka that, that first victory on the main roster. Hopefully, I'm hoping it's a good match and it's not just a squash. I honestly would not be surprised if it's an absolute squash and we get uh, a quickie here, although there might not be – they might need them to give you yeah, know, I think give, they're give time. time. <laughs> um, but, I, again, I don't think this needs over an analysis. Hat trick there. Asuka with the victory. Let's get into – we got Finn Balor versus AJ Styles. Promised to be a good match. No setup, no storytelling here. Dave, what do you think is going to happen in this matchup? Um, I think, obviously, this match was done to compensate for some of the roster changes with Bray Wyatt being out. Um, He was supposed to portray the sister Abigail 
uh, alter ego against Finn Balor's demon alter ego. And I was interested in that. I wasn't like the rest of the internet that was still crying and complaining that there was no real female sister Abigail um, as a part of this storyline. But that's another discussion for another day. Um, I like this matchup. Both guys have similar backgrounds. Both guys have similar uh, in-ring styles, no pun intended. Um, I'm not as excited for for it as the internet wrestling fans are, but I am pretty excited for it. I think it's got potential, obviously, to be match of the night and even match of the year. Um, Yeah, there is no storyline development because this was thrown together so quickly because of the the, the viral meningitis that's gone around the the Raw locker room. But um, nonetheless, I think that they're going to, from what I'm hearing, from what I've been reading, these guys are going to go pretty long. They're going to give them a lot of time. So, um, I, I expect to have a, I expect to see a kick-ass match, and um, it wouldn't surprise me if, if, regardless of the finish, we see some sort of follow-up with these two, because next month is Survivor Series, and Survivor Series is a dual-brand pay-per-view, and and they're starting to go more of the Raw versus SmackDown uh, interpromotional uh, rivalry as a theme for Survivor Series. So it wouldn't surprise me if there's some follow-up with these two going into Survivor Series next month based off the finish. And, um, you know, for those internet wrestling fans that are currently listening right now, the IWC, I know that um, it's going to get all your, your peepees hard. If uh, Gallows and Anderson come out, they all throw up the two sweets together. But um, I'm going to be your buzzkill and tell you that that shit ain't happening. But I'm picking Finn Balor for the victory. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny because when I look at this this matchup and – Again, as we talk about, you know, who might need a victory, could use a victory, who could handle a loss. Uh, I agree. I think it's going to be a phenomenal matchup. It, it's tough for me to get invested in it just because there's no storytelling surrounding it. But the athleticism, I think there's going to be – I just think this match is going to be a lot of fun. And who knows? You're right, Dave. When it comes to Survivor Series, I mean, maybe these two guys are, are two of the last members of their respective teams at the end of a Survivor Series match. Uh, maybe they're, they're – they're two captains of teams. Um, you know, I think we'll, we'll get uh, a really good match. Um, and, uh, you know, these two guys can go in the ring. I'm not necessarily completely sold on Finn Balor's character. Um, AJ Styles, a guy who came in and uh, initially was like, is he going to adapt to the WWE style? Has been, honestly, nothing sort of phenomenal. Uh, AJ Styles has just been tremendous. Um, to me, this is a matchup right now that... You know, Finn Balor, and you, you would think that perhaps they're going to uh, continue the, the Bray Wyatt uh, feud once he comes back from the viral meningitis. Um, I, I think Finn Balor could use a victory. Uh, I think there's going to be a, a, a lot of false finishes, a lot of back and forth, a lot of one of those uh, athletic endeavors where it's, uh, it's a shame one person had to lose. I think it's going to be one of those really back-and-forth, 50-50 kind of matchups. Um, but I think Finn Balor could use the victory more, especially uh, if he continues to go after Bray Wyatt. And honestly, I don't think AJ Styles loses a goddamn thing uh, losing a matchup to Finn Balor. I would not be surprised if we get a handshake and a hug at the end of the match uh, between these two. Highly entertaining matchup. Finn Balor emerges victorious. Rocky, what do you think? Well... Out of all the matches on this card, uh, especially with the card being rather match light, these are definitely the two mechanics that you give all the time in the world to to put on one hell of an entertaining match. 
I agree with Dave. The IWC is going to be, you know, head over heels over for this match. But it's a shame that this is a match with no storytelling behind it. Uh, because you, you here you you obviously see two guys who can most definitely put on a five star match, a six star match, but you have nothing behind it. So in my thinking, that means you have to put something ahead of it, which is why I'm going to disagree with both of you and say AJ Styles comes up eats out of victory after a long hard fought match, and here is why. Uh, you, you had. Uh, you've had Finn and Bray going at it for a while. Finn has come up on top in, in these in these meetings with Bray, and this was supposed to be billed as a demon versus uh, versus Bray, whatever. Be that as it may, the speculation probably would have been that Finn is going to go over again, or somehow Bray would finally get a victory with a victory from with a victory against a demon. Because in my memory, I don't remember if. Finn has been defeated when he has used his demon persona with AJ getting a victory. When Bray does come back, now he can pull promos of the seed of doubt has been planted. I was in your head that much that you as the demon lost to a mortal. And then you can make it a three way dance and have three competitors put on phenomenal matches. Uh, I, I like – that's the booking that's in my head. That's the way I would go with it, and I think that could be very interesting. Obviously, Finn has been uh, on a streak with Bray, so he can suffer a loss. AJ being AJ, you know, no one's going to be shocked at a win from AJ. I think it will be a very hard-fought match. I think it will be an extremely entertaining match. But at the end of the day, I think you're going to see AJ Styles eke out a victory over the demon Finn Balor. I think I should book a tag team match after this, and it should be Bray Wyatt and Sister Abigail versus Finn Balor and the Demon. I'd like to see them figure that bad boy out. Let's go to the WWE Raw Women's Championship as we have Alexa Bliss versus poor Mickey James. Mickey James, how long ago? Go back a few years. She was Piggy James. Now, like Alexa Bliss poking fun at her age. Be a star. You know, you ladies in, in the women's division, don't be a bully. Be a star. Poor Mickey James is just constantly a victim of bullying in the WWE ladies division. Going for the championship against Alexa Bliss. Um, I think it's going to be a fun matchup. I, I love what Alexa Bliss has been bringing to the table. Um, lots of interesting stuff from her. Um but you know what? I'm going to go out on a limb on this one. And I don't know if you could really call it an upset when you have a future Hall of Famer uh, wins the championship. But I'm going to go – I'm going to call it an upset. And I'm going to say Mickey James breaks through here, ends Alexa Bliss's championship run for now. And we have a new women's champion. And with all the, all the stigmas, all the bullying, Mickey James breaks through. New women's champion, Mickey James. Dave, what do you think? I've I've enjoyed this storyline um, because Mickey James is, I think, one of the the underrated female uh, wrestlers in WWE history. Um, she's one of those that uh, doesn't get enough credit. She kind of came a little bit after the Trish and uh, 
she she was she she debuted in the tail end of the Trish and Lita era, and I felt like she didn't get enough credit for what she contributed to uh, women's wrestling at that time. And then they kind of morphed into the whole diva era um, while she was there and she kind of got phased out. And I'm glad that she's back now during this women's evolution, revolution, whatever you want to call it. And she's getting to really show what she's made of um, in the ring. And I feel like since she came back, she's kind of floundered in the last year and just didn't really do a whole lot. And this storyline has kind of made people care about her again. Um, You could definitely tell when she cut that promo a few weeks ago in the ring, um, face-to-face with Bliss, that um, she's, you know, head and shoulders above most of the girls uh, better on the microphone, Um, which is saying something because I I feel like, um, you know, you can close your eyes. I said this about a lot of the male talents. I say this about some of the female talents. You can close your eyes. And if you don't know who, who, the, who the, the, the female wrestler is when they're talking, you would all think that most of them are the same when they talk. They sound very robotic. She, on the other hand, it, very organic and, you know, the cadence in her voice, it just came off more natural when she spoke as opposed to some of the other girls where it sounds like they're trying to remember what they're supposed to say. Um, and that kind of hooked me in terms of being invested in the storyline. I think it's going to be a great match between both girls, but um, I said it earlier, and I'll say it again. The money's in the chase. And, uh, you know, you know old-ass Mickey James chasing young Alexa Bliss for the title is, uh, is, is what, you know, people would be more invested in. So I'm going to go with Alexa for the victory. Well, that's a very safe call. Um, obviously... Alexa has been a boon to the women's division. I think she does a great job, great competitor. I'm definitely an Alexa Bliss fan. Uh, and not to mention easy on the eyes, as most, as most of the women's division is. Uh, and then you have Mickey James on the other end. Obviously, uh, you know, someone who, who is a Hall of Fame candidate when her time has come. And I agree with Dave. You know, she's, she has floundered in the past year to find her place back in that in that division uh but i like where this whole storyline is going i think they developed it well uh i think it's helped not not for nothing i think it's helped alexa uh learn from one of the greats uh with all that being said i'm going to agree with ken i like the idea of seeing uh, Mickey James with one more shot at the belt, with one more, one more title run. Uh, I don't think it would be long. Uh, I, I think she'll drop it relatively quickly. But if Mickey got the belt, I think that's more of a plus than in this case uh, with Alexa retaining. Even if Alexa, you know, gets it, the next Raw, the next pay-per-view, what have you, I think if you have another run with Mickey, I think that would do the division better, in my opinion. Yeah, it's interesting, because, David, you bring up a good point with Mickey James. I mean, she is someone who, um, she should be ranked up there as far as one of the all-time great female competitors. I mean, she really is, has not gotten her her just reward, I think, and, and goes around a, a bit underrated, but uh, she definitely is someone that um, historically speaking, I mean, it's, it's intriguing when you look at the women and, and, 
it's tough when you look historically and you look at the ladies and there's obviously there's the, the moolahs of the world, the May Youngs, where, you know, let's face it, for those of us on a show like this, it's difficult for us to, you know, rank historically. Like, is Moolah the greatest female uh, wrestler of all time? Perhaps on the show here, we've talked a lot about Charlotte Flair. When it's all said and done, is Charlotte Flair, like, going to be the best ever? She might very well be. There's Trish Stratus. There's, there's Lita. Um, you know, when you look at, like, a lot of female competitors over the years, I mean, I've been down on her, but let's face it, when it's all said and done, you do have Sasha Banks. Where does she go? Where does a Becky Lynch go with her career? Um, a Natalia, where does Natalia rank all time? But it's it's intriguing when, you know, I think Dave, you really brought up a good point. When you look at Mickey James, I don't think her name jumps out historically as far as uh, ladies wrestlers. Victoria is another one that comes to mind. Um, but I, I honestly think when, when you start to rank these women, and again, tough for me to rank the Moolahs and Mae Youngs of the world, um, and I might have to just put them almost in a separate category. But for ladies wrestlers that I've seen um, over the years, I mean, to me, Mickey James is a top five, maybe even a top three kind of ladies competitor. And I don't think she really gets that, that sort of recognition. And most fans um, – Excuse me. I don't think most fans look at her in that sort of way that, like, when she comes out, you're seeing an all-time great. And though it might be towards the end of her career, I mean, she's late 30s, so she still could go for a while. But she's not in her prime. But you're still watching an all-time great. And I don't think that fans really look at that and and recognize that they're seeing someone – who's legitimately an all-time great. And, and, and Dave, like, I'm curious, like, when you look at someone like Mickey James, I mean, where do you think of her as far as, I mean, you brought up the point that people don't recognize, like, how great she's been. Where do you see her ranking? It's hard to, it's hard to say where I see her ranking because I think, and, I, I, and this is not to be, I don't want any of our female listeners to take this the wrong way, but women's wrestling hasn't been consistently taken seriously for the majority of pro wrestling history over, over decades. Um, you know, it would, it was, it was a lot of, you know, it would come, it would go, it would be seen as like an attraction, something to fill time. Um, in recent, you know, in the last 15, 20 years, regardless of the quality of the, the, the women's wrestling, whether it's been the, the, the diva bubblegum era or today's current you know, era or even the Trish and Lita era, um, there, there's some seriousness to the, 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 the women's product. Um, there's varying degrees of it. Um, so it's hard for me to rank her somewhere because, you know, there have been some really good women's wrestlers that came in and, and, and worked during a time when women's wrestling wasn't taken seriously. Two ladies, for instance, who I think, you know, if you want to talk about in-ring ability and what they brought to women's wrestling that don't get enough credit that came up during the wrong era for in-ring performing is Sensational Sherry Martel and Medusa, Alundra Blaze. Both women, you know, were the, the benchmark for women's wrestling in the AWA and then Sherry had taken her services and become more of a valet. 
Medusa, Alundra Blaze kind of split her time between both, and they just both were 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 were, were pioneers for taking women seriously during a time when people weren't taking women seriously in pro wrestling. So I feel like when it comes to ranking all time, great women's wrestlers, it's very hard because there's different criteria that, that, that everyone has for ranking women's wrestlers. And some say drawing ability and crossover appeal and, you know, mainstream crossover appeal and in ring ability. And, you know, you could take in-ring ability for a woman like Alundra Blaze and put her at the top and say she's the greatest freaking women's wrestler of all time. But if you want to talk about drawing ability and crossover appeal and, you know, mainstream, whatever, you, you won't know who she is. And then you could see that as a failure as opposed to someone like a Trish Stratus who didn't have any wrestling ability, was a fitness model, but grew over time and became a hell of a performer in the ring and had a really good look and drew a lot of money, and people gravitated to her and to women's wrestling. Same thing with Lita. So, I mean, it's very hard for me to, to – I know I know you want to get an answer out of me, but I can't rank anyone as really the greatest of all time because each era wrestling was either – women's wrestling was either taken very serious or not very serious, and the criteria is different, and there's a lot of different variables that go into it. So I, that's why it's hard for me to say there is, there is one great female wrestler of all time because I can't do that. It's not like when we talk about, like, the greatest of all time for the men, it's either Hogan or Flair or Austin or Rock or whatever, you know. I can't do that for the women because women's wrestling really hasn't been consistently been taken seriously over the course of pro wrestling history. Hey, it's interesting to say, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, it's been like a, an ebb and flow um, over the years. I mean, even when I grew up, it was, you know, Moolah and Wendy Richter, Lilani Kai in the mix, you know, as a kid. Um, but let me ask you this. As, as much as it's, it's tough, you know, I, I always do with ranking people, it's the, like, the, you can rank people, then there's the I ain't mad at you, you know? Like, I'm going to say Hulk Hogan's the greatest of all time, but if you want to say Flair, I ain't mad at you. I'm not going to argue. So if someone were to say that, that Mickey James, like if someone said to you, Dave, in my opinion, Mickey James is top five female of all time, you think that's way off base, or do you say, you know what, I can see that? I don't think it's way off base. I don't agree with it, but I don't think it's way off base. I think she's – I think – I could see why people would say that, but in my personal opinion, no. From an in-ring standpoint, no. I don't think she's top five all time. But I, I could understand why other people say that. It's definitely not way off base, but she's she's she. Let's put it this way. She's the sixth man on the bench. If, let's go with a basketball analogy. She's the sixth man on the bench. Yeah, so the top six is not a bad place to be. What are your thoughts on Mickey James, Rook? Well, uh, I think when you think about Mickey James, you also have to look at who she emulated uh, when she started, which was Trish Stratus. And uh, something t- pointing to something that Dave said before, and I am in 100% agreement. You, you look at Trish Stratus, someone who started out as a valet with no ability, but a tre- obviously a tremendous look, but had the perseverance and had the drive to actually develop herself into, you know, definitely one of the, at least in my opinion, one of the greatest uh, women wrestlers of all, of all time. Uh, and that's, you know, have, do other women have better in-ring ability than Trish? Sure. But just the whole package, when you look at Trish, the in-ring ability, the mic ability, the, the look, the whole nine yards, Trish Jazz, to, to me, was definitely up there. And you had Mickey James come in and was on the tail, as Dave said, was on the tail end of the, of the Trish run, and her whole character was about emulating Trish. 
So she had a great start. Uh, to answer your question, Ken, as far as, you know, top five, uh, I'm going to agree. I ain't mad at you for putting her in the top five because not only did she emulate some of the best, but to this, you know, think about it. She is still relevant to this day. She's been in the business for how long and is still relevant and is still doing well on top of the biz. I can't be mad at someone putting it, uh, Trish in the top five. Or uh, Nikki, I should say. It's interesting, like, maybe at some point we do a standalone show and we look at, like, the history of ladies' wrestling. Because as, as we're sitting there talking, then I'm starting to think of, of Ivory, uh, Jacqueline, you know, all these other ladies are, are kind, of, kind of popping into my my head. And, you know, it, it's interesting. And, like, uh, Beth Phoenix, who was, like, the athlete in an era where it was all about eye candy, um, you know, interesting where you look at, like, ladies' wrestling. But I think Mickey James is definitely someone who's an all-time great and – uh, perhaps not recognized. So we look at Dave looking for Bliss to retain, Rocky and myself looking for Mickey to be the new ladies' champion. As we get into our main event, two-thirds of the Shield with the returning Kurt Angle versus Cesaro and Kane and The Miz and Sheamus and Braun Strowman. Braun Strowman, who seemingly is unbeatable, the monster, now he's got a whole gaggle of people with him, including Kane, the returning Kane. Um, crazy stuff in this match. Um, this, is, this match is really intriguing to me because I, I think it's a slam dunk for the Shield if, if the Shield was together in this matchup. Um, now with the Shield not being completely together, um, I think it opens itself up to, to other options. And I'm going to – like, I was thinking about this a lot today, and I was thinking of, of ways they could go, and I was thinking in terms of, you know, it, it's not necessarily, like, you had Roman Reigns bow out. Um, so, obviously, Kurt Angle being inserted in this matchup was a necessity. You know, hell, if you bought a ticket for this, this event, uh, you're buying it on pay-per-view. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, my God, we're not getting the returning shield, but, oh, wow, we're getting Kurt Angle back in the ring. So, I think it's something that they, they kind of helped uh, cushion that blow of not getting the full reunited shield uh, in the match by giving you, wow, Kurt Angle's going to be back. And I, I think everybody's just really curious what he's going to bring to the table, if he's going to do too much. I mean, like Kurt Angle, I, you would think that guy, not that any of us here know him personally, but he's that type of guy that if he's, if he's there, if, if Kurt Angle's in the ring, he's got to be Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle's not going to get in the ring and try to be a reasonable facsimile of Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle's going to want to be Kurt Angle. And uh, I, I think it should be intriguing what we get out of him in this matchup. But I'm going to go way out on a limb. And I know this is probably not smart of me. But, and I'm probably thinking with my head, with my heart, not my head. But I think you take something like this. You take an opportunity when you look at a matchup like this. And because you've inserted Kurt Angle... Don't just run the status quo. Don't just use Kurt Angle as, all right, we're using him as a substitute. Let's do something intriguing. So my pick is going to be Team Miz will emerge victorious with a heel-turning Kurt Angle to flip the whole thing on its ear. Now you've got the shield up against a, an evil ruling class. I think the storytelling would work. 
Um, I would love to see Kurt Angle say, you think it's fun, you guys, chanting you suck every time I come out here? Excuse me? I think you take something like this, and even though you didn't intend on this happening, use it for something positive. Use it for something creative. Flip the script. Let's do something different here. The Miz is awesome right now. The Miz is doing everything. You know, he's giving guys rubs. I like this little faction he's got going right now. Why not have the Miz's little faction allied with the guy who's running Raw? I I think that could be fun stuff. So I'm going to go with Miz's team with a Kurt Angle heel turn. But ultimately my pick is Miz's team emerges victorious. Dave, your thoughts? Well, with Kurt Angle's insertion into this match, like we've said at the top of this program, like you both have said, and I'll reiterate it, there is definitely intrigue going into this match. There's intrigue for a number of reasons. Number one, what will Kurt Angle be able to do physically? Um, like we, like I said in my throwback, and like you said, he's got to be Kurt Angle. And there's been some rumors circulating on the Internet this weekend that WWE officials are a little concerned that with him out there, um, he might take too many risks um, and, and, and get himself seriously injured. Um, I don't know what his physical well-being and his health is, but um, I have a feeling we're going to see – two things take place with Kurt Angle. One, I think he's going to give us some little flashes of the Kurt Angle of old, maybe take one, you know, risk or two that, that will make us cringe and be like, oh, why did he just do that? That was cool, but why did you just do that? Um, and then on the other hand, I think we might see Kurt Angle not have as much involvement in the match um, because there's so many guys. You can kind of hide Kurt Angle a little bit and – uh you know, camouflage some of his involvement. Maybe he gets taken out before the match, or maybe they do one spot where, you know, he gets taken out and then you do a stretcher job and it's five on two. Um, If they do kind of go that route, then there's a couple of wild cards that I think could and could be inserted into this match. One of them, Curtis Axel. Axel, to me, had his best verbal performance the other night on raw when he talked about his need to be in this match his need to be a part of you know this tables ladders and chairs match and to be in the main event and he was going to go to great lengths to beat up roman reigns to do that and the cameras cut to him go to commercial break we come back and he is laid out and when they went to miz and miz says i got a lot of love for axel but he was never a choice I have a feeling that statement right there and the events that led to that are going to be the catalyst for him to have some sort of involvement against the Miz and his team. And Axel could play a big role in this match, whether it's some interference or maybe they make him a substitute for Kurt. If Kurt, if they decide to do the the injury angle with Kurt angle, no pun intended. um, I think that's a route they could go. Here's another name that was thrown out there earlier this week, but um, uh, for whatever reasons, things changed with WWE creative Samoa Joe. He's been injured. He just got cleared like two weeks ago. He might be available. There's a chance that he may have some involvement in this match. There was a rumor that him and Braun Strowman were going to have a thing. Um, So Joe, it could definitely be a wild card. The Kane situation is very interesting. That's another wild card because Kane just came out of nowhere, returned and all of a sudden he's joined Miz's team to take out the shield. Kane's character has a lot of history with the shield. 
The first match that they ever had was against Kane at a TLC event in a TLC match. Um, but Kane's career is winding down, and I feel like because it's the 20-year anniversary of Kane, the, the Kane character, his insertion into this match was a way to, to in some ways, write him off, courtesy of the Shield. Um, and kind of put an end to his career right there, his in-ring career. Um, I don't think now that's going to happen, but I think there may be some dissension with Kane and Braun Strowman, two monsters ruling the roost on that team. And I think that's something that we should look at going into this match too. Maybe Kane turns on his team and, you know, helps the rest of the, the, the other team win the match. Who knows? There's a lot of wild cards in this match that make for very intriguing storytelling moving forward after tonight. I expect a lot of plunder, as Dusty Rhodes would say. I expect to see, you know, these guys go all out. Um, and like I said, intrigue is the perfect word for this match. But, you know, as, as much as I like your idea, Ken, with Miz and his faction aligning with the evil boss, Kurt Angle, I just can't see it happening. I can't see it happening right now tonight. It's a cool idea, but I'm going to go with Kurt Angle and two-thirds of the shield for the victory in tonight's main event. Well, uh, I think both of you bring up excellent points, and I love Ken's idea. I think that would be awesome. I think that would uh, – I think that's excellent storytelling. I think it would be a great way to go. That being said, I'm probably going to have to agree with Dave. Uh, if the Shield was together, to me, this would be a no-brainer. It, it would be the, the Shield – overcoming insurmountable odds to, to, to wind up on top in their reunion. Now you have Kurt Angle, who is universally loved by the WWE Universe for good reason. Uh, with the reports of them being worried about the risk he'll take in the ring, I, I could agree with that. Let's face it. Kurt Angle is a bona fide Olympic competitor. He is not going to want to just go out there and half-ass it. Uh He's good. he's going to go out there. He's going to do. He's probably going to do more than what was discussed in the back. He's going to go out there and he's going to lay it out, out all out on the line uh, for the people and for himself. Um, with all the different angles, I agree with Dave that I think Curtis Axel is going to be a factor. Uh, you know, perhaps he perhaps he's going to you know last minute just pull the guys out of the jaws of defeat and help uh, Team Angle uh, pull out the victory. I don't know. But I think it's going to be a great match. I think it's going to be a struggle. And I'm definitely going with Team Angle for the victory in this big matchup. Wow. So I'm I'm standing on my own on this one. So. What a great idea, though. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> So yeah, you know, I'm I'm curious. As we talk, you know, I was interesting debating on on uh, Mickey James, and with like three minutes left, I'm just curious as we started talking about Kane in this matchup. You know, I thought it was intriguing that, and, and I don't think he necessarily does, but on on one of the wrestling pages that I follow on Facebook, someone posted is is Kane a top ten wrestler all time? And it, I find it an intriguing question only because, like, number one, if I was a promoter. I would say, yeah, like he's a guy I would want on my team, probably a top five guy I'd want on my team. He can do the facing, do the heel thing. He's a big dude. He seems like a company guy. Um, I don't necessarily put him in my top ten bonafide Hall of Famer, 
But I, I thought it was an intriguing question because it was almost like a kind of an I am mad at you kind of, if Kane winds up around number 10 for someone's list, I was like, I'd have to look at the list, but he's definitely been a mainstay, a staple, a consistent force for a long period of time. Um, you know, I'm curious, like, like Roth, what do you think? Like, is Kane a, a top 10 all time? What are your thoughts? I can definitely be on board with that. Um, just looking, just looking at Kane, a, mon- a monster, someone that people are going to come to see, to see what the hell is this big guy going to do? Um, like you said, he's done the heel thing. He's done the face thing. He's done the comedy thing. He's done the monster thing. Um, and also for the guys in the back, he has a reputation of, of taking care of people and not hurting people. To, to me, uh, how could you, how could you not put him in that direction? You know, great, great, uh, you know, great on promos. I, I see no downside in putting Kane uh, on the top 10. But- what do you think, Dave? I mean, quickly, like, is he a top ten? I mean, he's an all-time great, but what do you think of that, that statement, Dave? Top ten big man, not top ten of all time wrestler, but top ten big man for sure. If you want to talk Andre the Giant, Undertaker, Big John, Stud, King Kong, but, you know, all big men, he's definitely in the top ten. I'd go say top five even as far as big guys go. Stereotypical pro wrestling monster. That's Kane. Reliable, consistent, believable, credible. Definitely in the top of all the time, the big men in pro wrestling. That, that and that's that's a really like that's an interesting statement. That's something that like because honestly, and, and maybe it's for another day as we're we're winding today down. But like I would I would rank Kane over a big John Stud. I'd rank him past uh, King Kong Bundy. You know those big men. So it would be intriguing to kind of list the big men of all history and and see uh, where Kane would would. But again, like I to me, like if I'm a promoter, I, I want Kane on my roster. Kane's Kane's a go to guy. Thank you all for tuning in tonight, today, this afternoon. Enjoy TLC. Again, check out our Facebook page, Facebook.com slash the Ken Reedy Show. Uh lots of scheduling things going on. We'll keep you up to date over there on the Facebook page. Thank you so much for tuning in today. For Dave and Rock, I am Ken. Good afternoon, everybody.